Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. It's awesome that we have a hope that's so profound. I mean, that, that even in the midst of death, um, the overwhelming grace of God is just so incredibly powerful that we still can hope when the rest of the world sees death as something that is just an end. We see it as a new beginning. Um, and that's hopefully what I'm going to try and tie together this morning for you. Um, I want to address some stuff this morning that has been um, bumping around in my head for a while, and I really feel like God's laid it on my heart. He didn't allow me to complete this message until... Um, about 7.30 this morning. Um, so I will be looking back to my notes and stuff from time to time. But I spoke to this quite a bit at Impact, and um, I've spoken to it with others off and on and stuff, but I, I see some things where we, maybe we've got some misunderstandings um, in some of our interpretations of, of how we look at the Scripture and how we look at faith and obedience. And uh, even in the way that I've approached it in the past, I, you know, I want to apologize because there have been times where I've come in a really hard way towards people, and I can tend to be one of those people that if I feel I know the biblical facts, um, I'm going to outshout you or drive them down your throat till you understand them um, and understand that I'm right in that, and that's, uh, forgive me if you've suffered the fallout of that um, as a result of being around me. Um, God's doing a work in my life lately with just humility and, and, um, and his grace. And, and it's the reason I want to hit faith and obedience this morning is stemming out from the fact that, like we've talked about and saying about this morning, God's amazing grace. It's by grace through faith that we've been saved, not by works, lest any man should boast, the Bible tells us. Grace is an absolute free gift that's given to us. And there's nothing that any of us can do to earn that. I want to make that abundantly clear as I jump into this this morning. There's nothing that you or I or anybody could ever do to earn grace that God has given to us. Um, it's something that's absolutely overwhelming. It's absolutely magnificent. And I, I wish and hope and challenge each and every one of us to spend time with God and, and just seeking that the Holy Spirit will give us a real understanding of that grace. But I see an abuse of that grace taking place <clears throat> and some theologies that are coming up where people go, whoa, hold on, I don't want to listen to anything about works or deeds or obedience or any of that because I bent the knee, I said a prayer, I'm saved by grace. And therefore, the Holy Spirit now indwells me. And the Bible does tell us that the Word's been planted in you. And so they, they rest on the fact that the Holy Spirit now indwells them. And so we really don't need Scripture to lead us and guide us as Christians. But the Holy Spirit will tell us what's right or wrong. And we really don't need to obey what Scripture says because now that we have the Holy Spirit in us, well, He's going to tell us what's right or wrong. And I'm seeing a hindrance to the gospel being spread because of that type of a theology that's being taught. And so that's what I want to speak to this morning. And, and I feel God's given me some real clarity and some things. So I want to tie the dots together for us about how obedience fits into our faith. And that obedience is not something that's burdensome. It's not something that 
uh, we're doing to earn our faith, but it's something that God has set forward for us to do to ultimately accomplish his purposes. And hopefully I can tie that together for you this morning. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for blessing us. I thank you that Jeff got to get some time away, and I pray that you just bless that time with him and his family. And uh, Father, um, God, lead us and guide us that we might find ourselves squarely in the center of your plans and not trying to fit you into the center of our plans, that our lives might glorify you and that you might be lifted up. And uh, Father, through us, not that we can take credit for anything, but that everybody would see you and know who you are and know your glory. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I preface and let you guys know that I, I want to, before I get into this, let me share with you a couple ways to look at Scripture and, and some advice that I got early on that I thought was really awesome. Um, when it comes to looking at our theology, you know, what we believe about the Word of God or what we believe about God, um, one of the pieces of advice that I got was don't just believe something because you've always believed it. And don't just believe something because you want to, but believe what's biblical. And the only way you're going to know what's biblical is not by listening to me, or Matt, or Jeff, or James, or preachers on the radio, or anybody else. It's by spending time in the Word of God for yourself, and wrestling with it, and holding it before the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. I I want to make that really clear, because whatever I tell you up here, you should be taking active notes i.e. there's cards around and paper that you can write on and pens. Take accurate notes of the scriptures I'm referencing and the points I'm trying to make. I didn't have time to prepare it because, like I said, God just finished this up for me this morning. And so take those things home and test them by scripture. And if it doesn't pan out, if it doesn't work out, get a hold of me and let me know that I'm teaching something wrong. Okay? Um, Get a hold of Jeff, let him know he's teaching something wrong. Anybody, be bold enough, guys, to take it to scripture. I think one of the big problems we've got and, and these theories have been tested out from time to time. But one of the big problems that we've got is, boils down to a couple of things. We, as followers of Christ, are either not in the Word of God or are not bold enough to challenge false teaching. And when I say bold enough to challenge false teaching, I mean in a, in a gracious way, in a loving way. Because, you know, more flies are caught with honey than with vinegar, okay? So, and this is, I'm, I'm sharing with you the things that God's working on in my own life. But um, share those things with people. Because uh, if, if, if I'm misquoting something or misrepresenting something, or if it doesn't jive with what you believe Scripture says, then we need to talk it out. And we need to not talk it out as adversaries, but we need to talk it out as brothers and sisters in Christ in, in love. Because ultimately, our ultimate goal is that God be glorified and people be pointed to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And I think a lot of times the enemy can get in and and divide us and and we get split on those things. So I say that to preface, listen through that filter to what I'm going to teach you this morning or what I'm going to share with you this morning. I feel God's laid on my heart. Let me get a drink of water as we get started. Um, I feel that at the root of part of our problem with what's happening in theologies being misunderstood and, and people developing theologies that don't quite line up with what Scripture says is that we have a tendency to take certain passages that fit and make us comfortable, uh, that finish things for us, that that we're like, oh, hey, yeah, that that works, and well, that doesn't. And and human nature, we tend to move towards what's comfortable and what's easy. Am I right? And so in looking at that and trying to study that, and I've been working through this stuff for a couple of years now, just trying to 
really ask God to reveal in my heart where truth lies. So I've kind of come to where I'm at this morning. And so we take those things and we look at those things and we're like, oh yeah, that fits and that makes it easy. And I think it comes, we can even get down to taking certain key passages of scripture that are paramount to our salvation and, and reading those things out of context or in a limited context without seeing them through the whole of scripture and what God intended for it to say. I'll give you a couple of examples. The first one is John 3.16. You see it at football games. You see it hanging, you know, over the bleachers. You see it. I just was coming home the other day and saw somebody had carved it into the side of a freeway overpass in the grass. Um, but it's, it's that passage that we should all know by now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, we look at it. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes and, and believes is one of those words that I think we've been looking at incompletely or with the wrong interpretation. Another passage that I want to look at this morning, too, is Romans 10.9. And it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Is that all there is to it? No. There's more to it, and I think, you know, and, and I, I appreciate the fact that, for the most part, when I talk to people living hope, it, we seem to be pretty stable in, in what we understand about scriptures, and I, and I appreciate the fact that people are wrestling with it. But I still feel that we need to talk to this. Um, we take those verses, and we conclude from them that just simply to have faith or believe, we reduce it down to an intellectual acknowledgement of something or an intellectual belief and and so therefore we have a misunderstanding where people go well i've said the prayer i bent the knee i'm i'm good to go there's nothing else for me to do and then when you say well yes there is then they go whoa hold on grace you're talking about works there's something for me to do again back to the beginning of the service when i said there is nothing that you can do to earn this faith but there is something that you can do and god expects us to do it in order to forward his kingdom so in looking at that, it's more than just an intellectual decision. It's that plus. And the plus comes from, let's go, the writer of Hebrews talks to us in Hebrews three sixteen. He's talking to us about the fact that Jesus, or God had told the children of Israel back in Numbers to go into the land that God had promised to take them to. These are God's chosen people. He took them out of Egypt in the Exodus under Moses, and he told them, I want you to go into this land and take the land that I've set before you. I am giving it over to you. There's a difference between, you're going to have to work this out on your own, and I'm giving it over to you. Um, We see this going on, and so Moses did what he was told. He appointed 12 people to go in and spy out the land. They were going to go check it out, and so he appointed 12 leaders of each, one leader of each tribe. And they went and spied out the land. And when they did that, they came back out. And the report they gave was there's giants in the land and there's all this stuff. And they were very fearful. Even though they'd already seen God walk them through the Red Sea and protect them and meet their needs and bring them out of Egypt, they were still fearful. Are we still fearful after seeing things that God's done for us? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of times in our lives when that happens. But this is the context that, he's, that we're setting up here. And so the writer of Hebrews starts explaining out what happened here. And that's where we jump into Hebrews 3.16. Who were they that heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt? And to whom was he angry with for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? Remember, because these people did not believe God was big enough to take the land, 
our kind, loving, and gracious God had them wander for 40 years till that whole generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, had died off. Um, so they, uh, they perished in the desert. And with whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? Was it not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. And so what we've just seen here is one example of the aspect where they say disobedience equates to unbelief. There's more. James 2, 14 through 26. James, the brother of Jesus, is who's the one who's writing this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, and one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Even the demons believe that there's one God and shudder. Okay? For us to just have an intellectual acknowledgement that there's a God and that he's God, the demons believe the same thing. It's, this is the point that James is making here. Even the demons believe and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous by what he did when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And you see that faith and his actions were working together and that his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that the person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different, in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I could continue on on this. Um, you know, Hebrews 11, if you go there, there's just, the writer continues, the author of Hebrews continues to spell out, they call that the hall of faith. And he continues to spell out person after person where there's an example that you see by this, they had faith. By this, they had faith. By this, they had faith. Bear with me here because you hear me talking about deeds and faith. And, and in these new theologies that are creeping up, I've heard people even reduce it down to the fact that when they talk about, in James 2 here, the issue of Abraham putting Isaac on the altar and Rahab opening her door to the spies to house them, they say, well, that's a work that they opened the door, or that was a deed. They opened the door. They put Isaac on the altar. They, so that represents a work or a deed. And they said, so, yes, faith needs to be accompanied by works and deeds. But then they go and they take it to, to this extent. And this is in a book that I just finished reading again recently. They take it to the extent of saying, and it's a popular theology that's out there and it's running around. They take it and they say, that. so what we see from that is that by you opening the door of your heart, a work, you have met the criteria that James is talking about here in chapter 2. And I'm just going to tell you that's crap, okay, um, straight up. 
Um, that's me being abrasive and rude again, but this, des- this deserves it because to equate, any of you who have kids in here, is there something very different than admitting that I've opened my door to accept somebody or something versus Michelle taking Alex and putting her up on an altar and getting ready to stick a knife in her because she believes that God wants her to do that? Or Rahab opening her door and letting the spies in at the risk of her whole family being slaughtered by the community that she lives in? I mean, that's a very different thing than somebody saying, well, and because you've opened the door of your heart, then that's a work, and and so therefore I feel like you've met the criteria. And I'm quoting, I believe you've met the criteria that James sets forward in chapter 2. And I'm just like, Wow, seriously? Really? Do you read the same Bible that I read? Um, Okay, that's enough of me being abrasive. Um, So again, we see these examples, and we see tons of examples through Hebrews 11 of this same thing. The deeds are not a bad thing. What happens and what we see is if we, for instance, let's, let's think about getting on a boat, okay? I can stand here all day long and tell you that boat's gonna float. But you don't know if I really truly believe that until I get on that boat and prove that it floats. Or I get in that plane that I say, I believe that it can fly, or I cross a bridge that I say will support me. You can tell me all day long that you're for something, but until I actually see you moving in a tangible way that shows me that you're for that thing, I don't know whether you really believe it or not. I don't know whether it's really evident in your life or not. And that's the point that James is making here. It's, it's your faith without being set forward to an action is dead. One of the things I missed in the early service to say, and I want to say it now, a lot of times I had somebody come up to me after the service and say, where is the motivation to do these deeds that he calls us to do? And I'll explain what those deeds are in a little bit here. But the motivation to do those deeds is because the Word of God tells us to. The feeling that comes along with that motivation to do those deeds comes when we start doing those deeds. Because once we step out on faith, then the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and empowers us to continue to do that. There's a lot of things in life that we don't feel like doing, but we'll obey and do those things. And then ultimately, once we've done it, we realize, hey, that was pretty good. I'm glad I did that, and I moved forward on it. And it's the same way with the Word of God. There are things that we bump up against where we're like, ah, I don't know, I just, it's, I, I'm not motivated. I'm not. And especially because it's spiritual, we move into this thing of, of, well, I'm not feeling led by the Spirit. you know. And I drop back to my favorite life verse, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. At the end of that verse, after Jesus has told them, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, oh, here's that word again, obey everything that I've commanded you. And a command, we kind of recoil on that. He says, and surely I will be with you to the end of the age. The revelation in that that comes to us, or the knowledge that we need to get about that, is the fact that Jesus says, go and do this, and I'm going to be with you on this. If we're not doing anything, there's no need for Jesus to be here. Jesus says, better that I go and that the Comforter come. And we're like, okay, that's great. Well, analyze that. Why on earth would we need a Comforter if we're not going to be doing stuff that's uncomfortable? So, sidebar, I'm not charging extra for that. You guys can have that one for free. But our faith plays out, and our faith shows, I want to make sure I'm staying on time here, our faith shows that, that we really believe what we say we believe, that, that our obedience shows that we really believe what we say we believe. Um, is it important to be obedient? Let's look at some scriptures again. Hebrews 5, 7. 
During the days of Jesus' life here on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Pick up on this part right here. This is really cool. Another little sidebar. Um, And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Struggling with prayers being answered? You feel like God's not hearing you? Um, It's always good when we see the word like this and then we come up against things like that to go, are we praying in reverent submission to God? Or are we praying about what we want? Or are we reverently submitted to what he wants? Um, Jesus was like, hey, let this pass from me. I, I don't want to deal with this. This is, this, what's coming sucks. But not my will, but your will be done. So he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Suffering can be really good. Because through it, God grows us, God refines us, God shapes us. And ultimately, even though it's hard for us, God's sovereign and his will is perfect. And so whatever he's doing is going to turn out for his good and his glory. And that's, that's ultimately what we're about. It's not about us. Now, I'll finish this verse with why I started it in the first place. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So for all who obey him... Does it say, for all who believe in him? For all who have faith in him? See, we struggle. We take these things where we, like, the verses I read earlier, John 3.16 and Romans 10.9, and we go, this is it. This is the absolute, without going and reading these other verses, which complete the whole thought. Newsflash, God is huge. God is vast. God can't be summed up in one little thing, except for God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is awesome. We've got to look at the whole of Scripture, and when we select bits and pieces that feel comfortable to us, then we're only finding bits and pieces of the faith that we're supposed to really exhibit. So we look at that, and we see that that's out of Hebrews. Is it important to us? Jesus himself says in John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Our obedience is evidence, evidence and witness to our love for Jesus Christ. So what do we see from the scriptures? That faith is only an intellectual acknowledgement or an intellectual decision? No, from it we see two things that are concluded by it. Faith includes two things. Obedience and action. An unbelief or a lack of faith is evidenced by disobedience and inaction. Our obedience and our action are evidence and proving fruit of our commitment to a repentant, life-saving faith. What are we to do with this? Who are we? We need to understand a little bit more about where this is going to go and what it means to be obedient. And so we move to, to trying to understand a little bit, who am I in Christ Jesus? Well, Paul, in Ephesians 2, tells us, For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for you in advance to do. Again, let me qualify. Those works are not a way of earning your salvation, but God has prepared good works because he has a plan, and I'm going to bring that all together for you. He has a plan for these good works and for these obedient acts. Jesus, in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, tells us, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a lampstand, and it gives off light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. For what purpose? 
not only glorifying our Father in heaven, that's, all, that's the ultimate purpose, but there's something that brings that glory to God. When we look in Acts 1, 7 through 9, I use a lot of scripture because it's way better for you to hear the word of God than to hear me because the word of God is good and I'm faulty. So um, I try and use a lot of scripture in what I teach. So bear with me here. In Acts 1, 7 through 9, Jesus says, and by the way, in Acts 1, 7 through 9, where Jesus is speaking, uh, just a little while before this, he was hanging on a cross with a spear through his side, nails through his hands, and he gave up his soul and breathed his last. Oh, and he's speaking to us again in Acts as somebody who's up and walking around intangible. Is it important for us to hear this? Is it important for us to listen to this? We need to stop every once in a while and just meditate on the fact that we serve a Savior who's not dead, but over 2,000 years ago was put on a cross and was declared dead and did die and then was resurrected so that we can serve that Savior. We need to meditate on that so that we really get it because it will change the way you run your life. It will change who you have running your life. So, sidebar, not going to charge for that one either. Um, sorry, guys, I do, I do rabbit trails. But Jesus, Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and he was hidden by a cloud from their sight. So what does this look like? What is he calling us to do? It's about our mouths and our lives being his witnesses. The obedience that he's calling us to shows the evidence, just like us stepping out onto a bridge or climbing into a plane. It shows the evidence that there's something different in our lives. Our obedience, by faith we acknowledge it, and by faith we trust him, and by faith we love him. But that obedience to what he's spelling out in the word of God to us to be doing as followers of Christ is what takes this God that we can't see and makes him visible to the people around us. So his plan about obedience and deeds and the works that he's prepared for us to do all points us back to God and and makes him visible and tangible to the people around us. How do we do that? The royal law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law that we live under. We need to spend, again, time in God's word to understand what those really mean. Because to love God is to carry out his will and do what he's commanded us to do. Like Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. In enacting the royal law and loving our neighbors, we can go and look at some of the stories I've shared before with you guys about the Good Samaritan and how he took out of his own pocket and gave to meet the needs of the person who had been beaten on the side of the road when others were walking by. He interrupted his busy schedule so that he could care for the needs of this person. And come alongside them. He bandaged him. He, he did all these things which were uncomfortable for him and put him out of his normal routine. Far too often we're, we're busy with our normal routine. And back to James chapter 2, we see somebody in need and we're like, dude, I'll pray for you. And then we're off. And really, do we ever pray for him? I mean, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we walk away and we forget. But we see somebody that has a need and we walk off because, you know what, what i got to do is more important, what's ultimately boils down to, what I've got to do is more important than sharing the gospel. By the way, I tangibly live my life with this person and in front of this person. 
story of the Good Samaritan. We look at John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, where he's seeing the crowds coming out, you know, uh, to be baptized. And, and he does this very gracious, loving address to them. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. And they said, what's, basically they said, what's that look like? And he says, if you've got two shirts and you encounter somebody that has none, give him one of your shirts. If you have food and you encounter somebody that doesn't have any, give them your food. Give them some food. He said to the soldiers, don't take more than, you know, don't, don't take from people where it's not justified. He told the tax collectors, don't take more than what's right. Again, Bible speaking to paying taxes. Um, but don't take more than what's right for you to take. He wants us to live these lives that are righteous and upright. But the only way that we really know those is through the Word of God and time spent in the Word of God. So we see through these things, and you can keep going down. I mean, you could look at, at, at Zacchaeus. I, I love that story. Zacchaeus, the little guy up in the tree, and Jesus comes along. And he's like, dude, I'm going to your house for dinner. And Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and he comes down out of that tree. And Jesus just coming to his house. And I think we've, the key point we've got to get, another description of, of acting upon what's going on. Zacchaeus recognizes who Jesus is, and he says, today I'm, I'm going to give away half of everything that I have. And to those I took from them, I'm going to give them four times what I took from them. And Jesus looks at that. They look at Zacchaeus going, I believe in you. No, he looked at Zacchaeus' action and says, today salvation has come to this house. Because it was evidenced by what Zacchaeus did. What's our conclusion from all this? What does it boil down to? Why is obedience and faith or obedience in our faith, incredibly important. Why, why can we not neglect the fact that the Bible talks about works that are for us to do and obedience that we're to do and deeds that we're to do? And, and why does this fly in the face of, and again, hear me, I am all about grace, but that grace that I've been given requires a response. And that response is for this purpose. That response to doing these deeds and carrying that out, it's all wrapped up in this. So we see that our obedience to what the risen head of the church has commanded us to do, that we testify with our lives that God is good, God is faithful, God is just, God is loving, God is sovereign. We testify with our lives. We become the tangible evidence of God. Because really, when we argue against anything that the world throws at us, the only evidence that they can see, other than all of creation, um, of God tangibly working, is sitting right here. God makes himself visible through each and every one of us every day in the way we conduct our lives. And so we see that that shows all those things. And that this testimony of our lives to those who are in the world seeking truth will attract them to us thus enabling us, and you guys knew I was going to end up here, to carry out the Great Commission, to go into every nation and teach the gospel, because they're going to see that. They're going to see that difference, and those that are seeking truth will be attracted to us in the way we conduct our lives, and ultimately, we get to point them towards Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our salvation. Make sense? 
you've got any questions or if you want to go over anything about this stuff, feel free to hit me up at any time. Um, if there's things that you don't understand, I would love to sit down and spend time with you talking um, about it and just going through the scriptures and praying with you about it. But get into God's word and read it and read it completely. It's, it's the Old Testament, uh, the New Testament, all of it. Um, there are people out there in theology who are dismissing sections of the Bible and saying you don't need this anymore because you've been saved and this and that and the other. Uh, and I point them back to, you know, they, they say anything pre-cross uh, is really doesn't have significance in the believer's life anymore because we live under the new covenant, which is post-cross, and these kind of things are coming down. And, and my struggle with that is that post-cross, we've got the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3.16. Second Timothy 3.16, where he says, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Okay? And so all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Read the Bible as a whole. Read it not in part. When you come up against something in the Bible you don't agree with, what needs to change, you or the Bible? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that uh, even when it hurts, your word is good and it's just. And, and Lord, and ultimately, the amazing part about it is, is that ultimately, the freedom that we so much desire from burdensome, from the old covenant, from the burdensome laws, is found in our obedience to you, that we find true freedom, and that we live under true grace. God, help us to get that, and uh, Lord, I pray that you would prompt each and every one of us to spend more time with you, uh, meditating with you, and, and being in your presence, but God, also help us to have the awareness that we look at the world around us through your eyes, and we see those places where the good deeds and the works that you've prepared for us in advance to do so that ultimately you will be glorified and ultimately people will be pointed towards the saving knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ can be played out. I pray that that would happen in our lives and I pray that would be the desire of each and every heart here. And Lord, I just continue again to, I pray for Cecilia, that God, you just be with her and hold her close and let her feel an extra measure of your grace this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.